This morning I want to look at a text in Psalm 119 with you that is going to show us the nature of the godly. The nature of a person who belongs to God, who is in relationship with God. The nature of a Christian. What we're going to discover here um, is just 12 marks of what it is revealing in a person about their nature as a person who belongs to God, a person who is in relationship with God, right relationship with God. But at the outset, I want to say that though there are these marks of the nature of a Christian, you know, and you might hear one of these marks and think, well, I'm not that, and I'm not that, and so I must not, therefore, be a Christian. What we're going to note before we begin is this is the ideal, this is the, the benchmark of what it means to be a, a person who belongs to God. But it doesn't mean that we must be these things perfectly. We are still all works in progress. We are broken. We have uh, sin in our lives on a daily basis. And what we're going to notice here is that, that we don't measure up in, in every one of these areas at all times. That these things, these, these marks, this, the nature that we see of a Christian is something that is growing and increasing. But it does not mean that if you are not these things or not these things perfectly, that you, therefore, are not uh, belonging to God, that you are not a believer. And so I just want to say that as we begin and as we think, because some of these you're going to come across and you're going to uh, hear them and think, well, that sounds definitive, that, that all uh, Christians have this in their nature. Well, real, And you might think, I don't have that. The reality is, is none of us have it perfectly. And we must be aware of that, but there are some things that we're going to note this morning that are necessary in order for you to even be a Christian, in order for you to even be a person of God, someone who will one day uh, get to be with God eternally in heaven. There are some requirements of that, of this nature, that, that must be present in the life. These are our goals. These are our aims. And as with all things, God provides the grace to bear this kind of fruit in our lives. It is something that is growing and increasing, and we trust Him for it. So as we see these ideals, and we see that, that this is the nature of all Christians, that it should be their nature, um, it, remember, it is something to be strived for with God's help and, and through the nourishment of His Word in our life. You're going to see, again, as with all Psalms in Psalm 119, is the saturation of the Scriptures. That every single verse in Psalm 119 is, is, is saturated with the Word of God. Referring to it as His Word, His testimonies, His precepts, His statutes, His promise. Every single verse is telling you it is the Word that is going to cause these sort of things in you. And we know that. From Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ. So, as we want to grow to be these things, as we want to grow to reflect this part of our nature that, that God has given us in Christ if we've come to Him, if we want to do that, we want to reflect that part of our nature, then we must be people of the Word who are allowing it to um, shape us and mold us, to correct us, to, to, to pull us in a direction that we would not naturally go. So before we begin looking at this psalm together, let me begin with a word of prayer for us. Father, you are a God who is so amazing that you would even 
want to relate to us, speak to us, provide for us, help us. And we, th- we are thankful that we have this word before us, that through it, uh, you show us uh, what you desire to do and what you are doing uh, in and through us, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ. And so I pray for your help now as we come to this passage that you would help us to properly remember um, where we still are. We are still yet not perfected. We are still yet not glorified. And so therefore, we are still um, affected by sin. And so um, help us then with that in mind, not to approach this text and feel just nothing but guilt and insufficiency, but instead let us look to Christ who is all sufficient for every one of our needs and our godliness. And so uh, would you help us to do that as we approach this text together? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the text is um, Psalm 119, and it'll be verse 57 through 64. This is the word of God. It says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise up to praise you. Because of your righteous rules, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Here we begin to see the nature of the godly and we'll discover the nature, some bits of their God. The first thing I want us to notice there then in verse 57 is that the nature of a Christian, that all Christians have God as their portion, that he ultimately is their desire, their satisfaction, their contentment, their completeness, that God is that. He is in fact the one that they pursue with their lives and with all that they have. This is what God is to those who are his children. The Lord is my portion, David says. That he and all other things do not compare with God. Nothing can compare. Yes, in my flesh and in my sin, I still pursue other things. Yes, I still follow after other things more often than I do God. But At the end of the day, the nature, the renewed nature in us is that all Christians have God as their portion. The one whom they ultimately will be satisfied in and will have um, perfect joy everlasting and perfect completion in him. He is their portion. The second thing that we note about the nature of Christians is they they all plead for grace. Look at verse 58. I entreat your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. There is not one person that has ever lived in all of history who is a Christian who got there by their works. 
Not a single person has ever achieved a right relationship with God through the works that they have done. Not a single one. It is all by the grace of God, all by the favor that is undeserved. Because we have screwed up and we continue to screw up. And so, even if, even if you were a big screw up and you come to God and you think, all right, time to just set it all aside. I'm done screwing up. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to look to Christ. I'm going to say, I need you to forgive me. And I believe in faith that he does. There's no way that tomorrow you're going to be perfect. So then what are you going to do? If it's not by the grace of God that you're in right relationship with him, then tomorrow you're going to need to come again and say, you know what? I did it again. And I'm not sure that I'm safe until I come to you and say it. That, that is not the way the Bible presents the grace and the gospel of God. It is good news because Christ died for sin once for all. Once for all your sins. That he died for the ungodly. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it for your sin and for my sin if we trust in him. He said, it is finished. It's finished all of their sin. Not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. So we sing, praise the Lord, O my soul. We entreat the favor of God. It says here in 58, I entreat your favor with all of my heart. Like, all of me needs you. I'm dependent upon you. I'm not just saving a sliver for me. I'm not just saving a sliver as a backup contingency plan of I still got my works. I still have this this list of things that I think I've done. If it comes to that, I can pull it out at the end and say, hey God, but don't you notice these things that I did. If someone ever asks you, why do you think that you'll get into heaven when you die? Your answer should only be Jesus. Jesus was sufficient. If you begin to answer that question by saying, well, uh, I went to church, I prayed, I did this thing, I I, I did that thing, um, you're, you're in trouble. That's your contingency plan? That's your backup plan? No. Your plead, your plead is only Jesus. It's only grace. It is by the grace of God you're saved. It's by the grace of God you get into heaven. Nothing that you can bring is sufficient on that day. Only bringing Jesus and saying, I have trusted my life to him. And I believe with my heart, with my whole heart, with all of my heart, I have entreated his favor, his grace that I do not deserve. That he would look upon me, a broken, sinful person, love me, die in my place, therefore taking my sin and putting it to death and all the record that that, that stood against me. All that I deserved wrath for, he took it. And then I can just latch on to him. I can just come to him and say, I entreat your favor. I entreat your grace, your mercy to me. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Your promise that we read throughout the entire scripture is that when you come to faith in God and you place your, your life in him and you believe That promise is that you are forgiven. We know the scriptures well in 1 John. You know, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. In Romans chapter 10, again and again, where it says, if anyone would call upon the name of the Lord, he would be saved. 
You, you, you call upon the name of the Lord, you confess your sin to God, and as we're going to learn later, Jesus says it himself when he, said, uh, he says, your job, I'm commanding you to repent and believe the gospel, believe the good news, repent. We're going to come to that in a minute because that's another mark of the nature of a true Christian. But here, it is this entreating of the favor of God, knowing that you have nothing to boast in and that you can only rely upon something you don't deserve. That is, forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So that's the second thing. Not only do they have God as their portion, but they have uh, all plead for grace. The third thing is that we see is that they all think on their ways. They all think on their ways. Look at verse 59. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. When I think on my ways, all Christians have come to evaluate themselves. By God's grace, God has been gracious to us to open up our eyes, to see our sinfulness, to see our wickedness against him, to see as we evaluate ourselves, to think on our ways, to think this is not right. This is contrary to God. This is opposed to the heavenly realms. This is not godly. This is not righteous. This is not good. So they thought on their ways. They've had their eyes opened, their heart wrenched in their own uh, wickedness. They think on their ways, and then the next thing they do is the next mark is that they all repent. They all repent. Verse 59 says, When I think on my ways, I've come to the conclusion that I'm worthless before God, that I have nothing to bring, that I'm just full of sin. I'm separated from God because of my sin, Scripture tells me. So they thought about that, but then all Christians repent. I turn my feet to your testimonies. I turn. That's what repent means, to turn, to, to leave one thing, to trust in another. Repent. You will never get to heaven. You will never have a relationship with God and Christ. You'll never be forgiven if you do not repent, if you do not turn from your sin and leave it behind. If you come to God and you, you, you are um, seeking forgiveness for something, but yet you carry on in it, you have not repented. And therefore, what does it mean for your forgiveness? You've not given it up. You, you want to carry on to it. You want to hold on to it. And you say, I just don't want to feel bad about it anymore. That's not the nature of a Christian. The nature of a Christian is that they all repent. Once for all, when we come to the cross and, 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 and for faith in the first time, and we, we turn from our wicked ways, we turn from trusting in ourselves or our own list of, of righteous deeds, we turn from all of that stuff. We turn from selfishness and we turn to God. And we turn to Him and say, I want to live for you. I want to live for your glory. I want you to be on display in my life. We repent. We don't want to love the former things anymore. We want to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and strength. We repent. But not just one time. The mark of a Christian is that they are a repenting person. Um, Jesus says uh, of the Pharisees, as much as uh, they had their life was really awful. And so what he, he said is like, their teaching is on par. You know, they know the scripture well. 
So if you hear their word, they're just echoing my words, but unfortunately it hasn't taken root in their hearts. They have not repented of their, their trust in themselves or their own religious system. He says, don't follow their way of life. He says, but they are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The same thing is true of you and me, that we don't just repent one time, get our jail out of free card from Jesus. We've turned from that stuff at that moment, and then we don't ever think about having to turn again and again and again. The life of a Christian is continual repentance, just turning away from the things that have dragged me down again, turning away from trusting in myself, turning away from being self-focused, turning away from all of that. And that is a daily, a daily battle for the Christian. All Christians repent. That is a mark of a Christian, is that they are a repentant people. And the fifth thing that all Christians are is all strive to obey without delay. Look at verse 59. Uh, Sorry, and 60. So I'll read 59 to 60. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Christians are marked by a, a lack of delay. They strive to obey without delay. We don't just say, all right, I know the good thing I ought to do. I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to do it later when it's more convenient. I'm going to do it when it seems more comfortable. I'm going to do it when it's not as scary. I'm going to do it when I'm more mature. I'm going to do it when I know more. Christians, their nature is that we are supposed to obey without delay. But when God says, go, We are to say, okay. When God says jump, we say, how high? We are to be those who, when we come across something in the scripture, when we come across something in his word, we say, yes, sir. Because we know that it is good for us and good for his glory. And so we are people who are supposed to be those that is part of our nature to not delay obedience. We don't say, well, let me just have this season, you know, where I just ride this thing out and I just kind of enjoy myself. Um, You'll hear a lot of people in this world who say, well, you know, I might think about coming to God later, um, but right now I'm just kind of, you know, I'm doing my life, I'm having fun, I'm building my career, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming something. And they think, well, I'll do that later, you know, I'll try out religion later, I'll try Jesus later. Obviously, that's not the mark of a person who belongs to God in Christ. The mark of a Christian is that they say, if they hear that they are wrong, they turn, they repent without delay, and they want to do, and they pursue doing right immediately. That is the mark of a Christian. Now let me pause to remind you, after this fifth point already, we do not do these things perfectly. And these things are not meant to guilt us and say, look, I've not even met the mark. I'm like number one, two, three, or five here. Um... A reminder that you are still human, I am human, and we do not do these things well, but by God's grace we can say, yeah, this is true, that is true. Like, I see all these things as the mark of a godly person, and I want to be that person. So again, entreat the favor of God, entreat the grace of God, beg for his mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cause me to be these things that I, that I want to be, that I should be. Be with me, help me. That's what we can do at this point. If you're at this point already, no, number five, and you think, wow, I am dropping the ball, uh, as, as I think, as I look at these. 
Uh, just plead in this moment for God's grace. Plead for his help uh, to carry on and to, to press on to receive the upper call uh, of the prize in Christ Jesus. The sixth thing we notice, though, about the nature of a Christian is that all endure opposition. All endure opposition. Look at um, verse 61. It says, Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. And so there's two things kind of wrapped up in there. Is in their um, enduring opposition, enduring trials, as we looked at uh, last week, as the, in, in their enduring of it, they do not forget the word of God. They do not neglect it. Uh, they don't say, um, I, I'm just fixated on my opposition at this moment. I've just got to fight this thing without using the word of God. A lot of this happens when we have a spiritual battle inside of us, when we have some sort of a struggle, you know, between a bitterness, between a, a loneliness, between an anger, between this desire for praise of people. And we, wrongfully, don't fight it with the word of God. We don't come to it and say, show me, God. Show me, teach me, correct me, speak truth to me, speak worth to me, speak value to me, speak the gospel to me. We... We often don't do that. We, we do forget the word when we endure opposition, whether that is spiritual opposition from within, uh, opposition from without. Um, it doesn't matter, but the, the truth is that we should always be those who do not forget his word, his law, his, his um, truth to us in those times. While we all endure opposition, Jesus promises that, um, we do not forget his word. Now, the seventh is that we all are people who praise him. Look at verse 62. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I praise you. Uh, the Christian is someone who thinks that God is to be admired. They think that God is someone to be lifted up and, and sung about, to be to be. Um, proclaimed to the world, to be heralded, to be telling others about, to be uh, telling God how great he is, to be um, telling God how beautiful you think he is and how amazing he is and all of his attributes. The nature of a Christian is that they all praise him. They all um, sing of his great worth. We worship him. That's the mark of a Christian. Uh, number eight is we all serve and love brothers and sisters in the Lord. Look at uh, verse 63. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. You know, the amazing thing about this word companion in the ESV translation is uh, it really gives the concept of like you're not just a friend because sometimes you and I uh, wrongfully maybe are only in friendships for what we can get out of it. When a companion uh, imagines that they have a responsibility, that they are the one who is there for the other person, uh, to provide for them, to, to serve them, to, to be something for them, to, to help them along, to help them in their growth. That's what a companion does. It is someone who is a helper. And so I love that translation of that word. But So that's what a mark of a Christian is, that, is that we all serve brothers and sisters in the Lord. We all serve and are companions of other fellow Christians. They will know we are Christians by our love. Right? You know that old song. And it's true. 
It's true. Jesus says that, that by the way you love one another, by the way you are united with one another, they're going to know that you belong to me. So then that is the mark of a Christian, something that we're to ask God for, is God, help me to serve others better. Help me to be more concerned for them and their growth and their godliness than I have been so far. Something that we can pursue is that all Christians serve and love brothers in the Lord and sisters in the Lord. Also in that verse, in verse 63, we see the next mark of a Christian is all Christians fear God. I am a companion of all who fear you, verse 63 says. All who fear you. A Christian fears God. They revere him. They respect him as majestic and holy, holy, holy. We tremble before his holiness because he is so distinct and unlike us. He is morally pure. He is the righteous judge of the, all the earth. So we, we fear him. We have this sense of awe about him. Awe and wonder as we think about and as we discover the goodness and the character of God. All Christians fear God. Another reminder for you, we do not do this perfectly and we do not do it well quite often, but by his grace, we fear him more today than we did two days ago. That's what we desire in us, is that that nature that is in us, that the nature of God and Christ, that it would be transforming us to fear him more. And the more you read, trust me, the more you read your Bible, the more you discover who God is and how he has worked um, in and through his people, around his people, around the universe, the more you discover that, the more you will fear him. You will just be left silenced before him, awestruck at his name. All Christians fear God. And all, number 10, lead holy lives. Also in verse 63, I am a companion of all who fear you. And then it gives further explanation of these people, of those who keep your precepts. Christians, those who fear God, are those who keep his precepts. They are the law keepers. We know the law of God. We know what he commands. And we want to keep it. We strive to keep it. By his grace and strength, we keep the law. We are not lawbreakers. We are not outlaws. We are not trespassers. When God says no, we, with his help, and not perfectly, but we see that no and we say, i got to flee. If, if I'm tempted to step over, if there is something leading me to, to step over where God says no... I don't want it. i got to run the other way. That's what a Christian is. That's the nature of a Christian, is to see the law of God, to see the boundaries he set for us, to live a, a good, pleasing life for him. And, and when we see that boundary, we don't even ask the question, well, how far can I get? Or how close can I go? Or can I just stretch my finger over a little bit? That's not the nature of a Christian. So when you're ever tempted to do that, when you hear of people saying, well, like, yeah, but can't I just, is that not just permissible? I know God says, but can I just, like, have an exception here? Or can I just stretch the rule a bit or bend it uh, because of this or that circumstance? Uh, if that's what you hear, you think that is not the nature of a Christian. The nature of a Christian is uh, one who keeps the precepts because they know that it is good for them 
Uh, because God has said it and he, he only commands that which is good for his people. He never has commanded something that is bad for us. And so we trust him. It is an issue of trust. We learn that God is trustworthy. So therefore we um, follow his, verse 62 calls his righteous rules, his, his perfect rules. So we all lead holy lives then. Lives that are um, aiming to have a moral compass more aligned with God than it was five years ago. We want to know what God says is right and what is wrong, not what the world says is right and wrong. That is shifting with every generation. Let us not be people who are marked by just morality based on our society, but morality based on what God says. And so that is the mark of a Christian, that we all lead holy lives. We want to be obedient to God in keeping his moral, and, uh, his moral commands and his rules. And number 11 is that all rely upon his covenant love. Look at verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. So teach me your statutes. We all rely upon that steadfast love of God. We realize based on the, the grace of God that we don't deserve the love. But as we know the love because of Christ. We know it, and when we trust in his steadfast love, his covenantal love, we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. We know his love for his people is through thick and thin. If you don't know that, read the book of Hosea. If you don't know how much God loves you, even while you're a sinner, even when you screw up, look at the covenantal love, the steadfast and, and, and firm love of God. In the book of Hosea. That's the, one of the greatest examples of it. A great example also is your life. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He loved you. And it wasn't because you were good enough or because you cleaned up enough. He loved you with a love that was everlasting. And so all Christians rely upon the covenantal love, the steadfast love of God to be in our relationship with him. And number 12, and lastly... All desire to keep on learning and growing. A Christian is never satisfied with just the status quo, with just graduating, with just ticking one box. End of 64 says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. We are never content to say, Well, you know what? I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've read the Bible 10 times. Um, I, I'm good. I, I know what there is to know. Um, I don't need to study the Bible. I don't need to be taught how to study the Bible again. I've been doing it for 20 years. I don't need to be taught how to read the Bible. I've been doing it for 35 years. I don't need to be uh, preached to by somebody else who knows less than me because I've been doing this for 45 years. I, I've read the Bible. I know God. That is not the nature of a Christian. That's the nature of a conceited person, a person who is proud and arrogant, a person who is not humble before God, realizing that they... We'll never know God perfectly in this life. That there is always something to learn. There is always ways in which you can read a text which someone, um, which you can never imagine, would be able to teach you uh, from the way they read the text or the way they've studied it, or a method or a prayer. You don't know uh, what you have to learn until sometimes you just humble yourself and say, teach me, teach me your statutes. And by whatever means, not just by the, the great professor, not just by an educated person, but teach me. 
Teach me through my life circumstances. Teach me through the mouths of babes. Teach me through the person who I think is really immature. Teach me through all of these things. I'm listening, O oh God. The Christian, a mark of their nature is that all desire to keep on learning and growing. We're never content with where we are. We want to always be growing. And all of these things, all of this nature, these 12 marks of a Christian, teach us something about God. I'm going to go through this and we'll, um, fairly quickly as we look at the verses together. So first off, in verse 57, you see that God is their portion. He is sufficient. There's something you ought to know about God is that it's not like, well, I got a portion of God and you got a portion of God and now it's running out, so hurry up and get your portion. Um, that it's going to run out before, you know, the next generation. No, God is all-sufficient. He is um, never um, taken away from by anything, all, any, any power that we need, any grace that we need. There is not a limited supply. When God is a portion, he is your complete satisfaction and he's my complete satisfaction, as he will be for the person who comes to faith tomorrow. God is all-sufficient. God is gracious, verse 58. As we plead for his grace, we realize that he is indeed gracious. That is who he is. That is what he is like. He is gracious to us. He is a God who has a moral compass. He has written commandments. And he's written them not only in a book, but on our hearts, where we know, have a sense, generally, of right and wrong. We have a moral compass because God is a moral law giver. We have a God who is worthy of our praise. You see in verse 62 where it says the Christian rises and praises him. Well, he is worthy of it. He is worthy of our complete adoration and love. He's, he is worthy of you singing over and over again that he, how great is our God. Uh, of, of his amazing grace. Of all the things that you can think of to, to sing, is he worthy? He is. God is worthy of our praise. And the next thing we learn about God is he's also worthy of our fear. Verse 63, the nature of a Christian is that we fear him. Well, he is majestic and he is holy. And so we tremble before him because he is that, worthy of fear. And 64 teaches us that he is a God of uh, not just um, the earth that is full of his steadfast love. The earth is his that he is the Lord over it, but that he is a God who loves. He loves outside of himself. He didn't need to, but oh, he is so amazing to love us and love us with a love that is unlike anything we can ever imagine or, or even think on this earth. God is a God of love, but not love only. Don't ever confuse that. And, and not just love exclusively of his righteousness and his judgment, and God's love includes his righteousness and his judgment. But God's steadfast love is a love that is unshaking. A love that is unfathomable. A love that will never run dry. A love that is faithful. A love that is covenantal. His love is firm and is forever. This is what we learn about the, the nature of our God, the, the godly and their God. So just to review, I'm going to give you these 12 things of the nature of a Christian before we close out. The first is that all have God as their portion. Second, they all plead for grace. Third, they all think on their ways. Fourth, they all repent. Fifth, they all strive to obey without delay. Sixth, 
They all endure opposition. Seventh, they all praise God. Eighth, they all serve and love the brothers. Ninth, they all fear God. Tenth, they all lead holy lives. Eleventh, they all rely upon his covenantal love. And twelfth, they all, all desire to keep on learning and growing. So as you hear these things, and, and you maybe are just going to, in this moment, be prone to despair and be like, wow, that's not me. I'm not even close. I don't, I don't even think I've grown in any of these areas. Um, just ask God to be gracious to you, um, to show you, to help you evaluate and have a little more perspective. Maybe, you know, if it's a five-year scope, where were you five years ago in your growth? Where were you um, even in your thought of repentance three weeks ago versus today? Uh, these are all areas that we can grow in, but you realize that this is the nature of a Christian. You will not find a person who is a godly person who will enter the heavenly realms without these marks. Not perfectly, but these marks at some point in their life. And increasingly, um, God works these things in the believer. And David here is saying, this is who I am. And not perfectly, but this is who God has made me to be. And, and by his grace, I'll be it more tomorrow and next day for him. Because he's worthy. Let's pray. God, you are indeed worthy. You are so worthy. And any words that we can think or imagine are not sufficient to bring you the praise that you deserve. So God, just let us be silenced before you more than we are. Let us be humbled before you. Let us always rely upon your grace so that we have nothing to boast in, but boast only in your amazing work. We thank you for the cross, that anyone who would come to Christ and, and just call on you for mercy, that they would find life and have purpose in you. God, thank you for your word. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.